Matthew chapter 4. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Last week, we began our sermon series on life on mission. And we talked about what it was to be the church. How many of you found yourselves correcting your vernacular this week in regards to the church, like telling somebody I'm, I'm going to church on Sunday and correcting that. Anybody do that this week? A couple folks. Okay, I caught myself a couple times. What we understood last week is that the church isn't a building. The church is an event that takes place on Sunday. The church is the people of God on mission every single day in our valley. And some people say, well, Scott, you're arguing semantics. Okay. I get that, and I understand that why you may feel that way, but let me just throw you a scenario out here real quick, that if the church is a building, or if the church is something that you do on Sunday, then you, when you come here, or when you attend here, then you're saying, great, I'm the church, and when I leave, I'm done being the church, which is not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that we're the church all the time. We are God's people called according to his purpose, empowered by him for his service every single day. So when we speak of the church, I want us to think about it, engage our minds. Right now I'm reading a wonderful book by Paul David Tripp called War on Words. And it's a book on the essential of knowing and understanding words that we use and using them correctly in today's world. There's some words that we have to take back. There's some words that we need to redeem and help people understand. And church is one of those words. So if we answered the question last week, what is or who is the church? It's the people of God called according to his purpose, empowered by him to be on mission in everyday life. Then this morning, we're going to move forward and answer the question of who we are. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is, the fitting, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning, for your life-transforming power of your word. Father, forgive us for not understanding that you gave us your word to change our hearts and to change our lives. You gave us your word so that we might know you, so that we might serve you. It's not an academic textbook. It's a life-changing word of God. It's living and it's breathing. Father God, forgive us for treating it as such. It's a textbook versus something that is supposed to change how we live every moment of our lives. Father God, I thank you so much for the celebration of Luke and Tabitha coming home. I thank you and rejoice in how your spirit sustained them through the very difficult days and moments 
of serving on mission. Lord God, I pray that you would strengthen them as though they may be back in the United States, that life on mission continues. And Lord, I pray that you would guide them and direct them to the community you want them to be a part of, whether it be a community here in the United States or a community abroad. Direct their steps, give them clarity. Surround them, Lord God, with people that will give them wise counsel and understanding of where they should go and what they should do. Lord God, please watch over Tabitha as she is pregnant with this beautiful and wonderful little child, this amazing life that you've created within her. Lord God, I pray that it would be a great pregnancy and a very safe and wonderful delivery. Be with Luke as he prepares to be a father. As even as we watched in the video today, it takes hard work to be a man. It's going to take hard work for Luke to be the man that that beautiful child needs. Give him strength and wisdom and encouragement to lead his family amazingly. Thank you, Lord God, for the example of courage that they are to us. Bless them richly, Lord. Father God, be with our time. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, Robert, glad you made it over. Why don't you join me in my sauna for a steam? Sounds like a great idea, buddy. I haven't detoxed in a while. Awesome. Uh, oh, by the way, are you going to make it tomorrow for my son's baptism? That's tomorrow? Man, my baptism was so long ago. I sure hope I can be there tomorrow. I love baptisms. Have you been baptized, Nick? Yeah, I was, uh, back in college. It was kind of cool. It was, like, up in the choir loft. There was this little tub, uh, kind of behind the curtains. Um, but they gave me this white robe. It was really sweet, and I almost drowned the pastor. Oh, be careful there. Well, it should be fun tomorrow. Yeah. When your son gets baptized tomorrow, he's going to be taking on that those new identities. When he gets baptized into the name of the Father, he's being adopted into God's family. He's going to be a part of that family, our family, the church. Uh, when he gets baptized into the name of the Son, he's taking on the identity of Jesus to be a servant to others, to go and serve just as Jesus has served us. When he takes and is immersed and baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, he now is empowered with that same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus and Jesus' mission and all that Jesus did now empowers your son to go and do the same mission just as Jesus did. We have that Holy Spirit living within us. All of us that have been baptized take on those identities and that's what is true for all of us that call ourselves Christians, to be in God's family, to serve the Son and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what makes baptism so awesome. But like, what if, it, if, what if I don't really fully understand it? What if I don't really feel like I get it? These are truths, not because of what we understand, but because they're true of God. And it's our job to go and learn more about them and to understand Him more. So, as Christians, so you're saying we're part of God's family and we have to be on mission? And we're called, we get to be a part of what God's doing? And then make disciples of other people? That's like, that's, wow, that's cool. It's like a, sounds like an adventure. Like a really cool adventure. I, I hope that I, I, I got to tell my son about this before he gets baptized tomorrow. That, I hope he understood. I, I wish I understood this a long time ago. Me too, Glenn. Me too. Good steam.
We are currently in search of a drama help in the church, but you know, um, <laughs> thank you, Robert and Glenn, very much for for putting yourself out there like that. That was awesome. You know, we learn in a lot of different ways in today's society, and so we're we're trying some different methods of of learning as a church, so that you're going to hear these messages come to you in different ways and in different angles, so that you can absorb them and understand them in your learning style and your learning method. And hopefully you can learn from that skit this morning and begin to answer that question, who we are. As children of God, we approach this question completely differently than the world does. As children of God, we understand way back at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them so for us as children of god as for us as his people if we're going to approach this question of who we are we don't go into the supermarket aisle and pull off the latest tabloid to answer that question we don't look at the people in our schools who dress nice and maybe the most popular to answer that question. As children of God, we go to the source, the true source, the word of God, to begin to understand who we are. And the scriptures say that we were made in the image of the almighty God. And since the scriptures point that we were made in the image of God, then we have to answer that question of who we are within the framework of who God is, right? If we're made in his image, then we say, okay, well then I'm not going to look to the world to answer that question. I'm going to look to the almighty God, and the almighty God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And since he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, co-eternal, co-equal, something that is a concept that completely blows our minds, that has existed from always and has existed always into the future. Eternity past, eternity future. Now, that's something I want to be very, very clear here. We're not a church that holds to this form of Trinitarianism, which is not really truly Trinitarianism at all. Some people hold that, yes, God was Trinitarian. In the past, he was the Father. When Jesus existed, he became then the Son, and the Father no longer existed. And then when Jesus went away, he became Spirit. And the Son and the Father no longer exist. This is just the Spirit. That's not Trinitarianism. We as a church hold that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have existed always together in three persons. Now, for some of us, this is a great theological concept that we talk about and maybe kind of hard to explain to people who don't get it. But what we don't realize is that it comes to bear upon this question of who we are in a very powerful and poignant way. You see, who we are is completely dependent upon God as Father, God as the Son, God as the Holy Spirit. I used to hear my theology Trinitarian class all the time. My professor would say, here we go, God the Father is not God the Son, he's not God the Holy Spirit, God the Son is not God the Father, he's not God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father and God the Son. Okay? He drilled that into us every class period. One God, three equal persons. 
but each one having a role within the Godhead that is essential to our understanding of who we are. And I hope today that when you walk out of this service, you're, first of all, you're encouraged. You're lifted up, and you feel equipped to go out and be a missionary in our valley today. Because as you understand the Trinity, it is no longer something, a concept that is out there that is really hard to think about. But you're answering and saying this Trinitarian concept, this understanding, this truth about my God changes my life. And has a personal application to who I am. And an understanding. You see, because God is Father, we are family. Now I want to pause for a second. Because I understand in today's day and age, now probably more than ever, when I say father, either that word has no meaning whatsoever, because father was a earthly father, was non-existent in your life, and you have no connection to one, or it brings out strong feelings of anger, frustration, hurt, because your father was abusive and injured you greatly. And you spend a lot of your days as a Christian trying to overcome what your earthly father did in order to correctly understand who your heavenly father is. And for others of us, father is a warm and a very endearing word. It's a word that when we hear it, we're like, yes, dad, father, oh, I'm excited to talk about God, my father. But for some of you this morning, when I say God the father, God is father, you're not that excited to hear me talk about it. Let me challenge you this morning that whatever image or understanding of Father you may have, let's look to the scriptures to understand our earthly Father, our heavenly Father, and why it is so life-changing in answering the question who we are that God is our Father. And because he is our Father, we have a family. In John chapter 1, verse 12, we read, But to all who did receive him, who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. As we read in Matthew chapter 3 of the baptism of Jesus Christ, we see God the Father speaking to God the Son, and he says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We know that Jesus Christ is the Son of the Almighty God. How humbling and how amazing and how powerful that you and I get to be called sons and daughters of the Almighty God. The same title, Son, that God says to God the Son, He says to us through the blood of Jesus Christ to His children, You are my children. We're family because God is our Father. Think about it for a second. Let it soak in. No matter what your experience is of family, you have a Father who will never let you down. You have a Father that will always be there, that will lead you, will love you, and he is building this eternal kingdom for us through his son, Jesus Christ, so that we may dwell with him forever, where there's no pain, no suffering. It's absolutely imperative 
that when we answer the question who we are, we have to understand that we're family and our Father loves us deeply. It was with great intentionality and great purpose that we spent five weeks before beginning this series looking at God's love for us because we can't dive into living missionally unless we grab hold of the Father's love and how it radically redeems, renews, and restores and changes our lives. Every family has a story though, right? As I was looking at um, online at different sayings for families, some of them were kind of weird. I'm like, people really probably shouldn't have that hanging in their home. But I like this one. Every family has a story. Welcome to ours. I'm, I'm almost like, man, we should like put that up like somewhere as people are coming into our church. Because as people, as you come into this building, we're a family of God sitting down together, praising God together, learning each other's stories and the story of, of how we've come together. It's amazing. This room is chock full of incredible stories of how you were either brought to Shalan or you grew up in Shalan or how you came to Livingstone Church. It's awesome to hear what God is doing in your lives. This last week or week and a half ago, I got the opportunity to sit down with a brother in Christ and just hear his story. I walked away from that time with him flying high, hearing what God has done in his life and the story. Because you know what? That's my story too. Because I'm part of his family. And that story encourages me and lifts me up. But one of the great ways to look at families and see the uniquenesses of families is family portraits, right? How many of y'all got some family portraits you don't display in your home, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we got a few of those as well. Some of these, th- this often happens in our home. You know, when, when mommy goes to give daddy a kiss over here in the right-hand corner, uh, Kira's usually the one to say yuck and pull away. And yeah, she don't want to see any of that. And then, and then this is in our family. And it was when I was growing up. If you wanted a somber family picture, it makes us all get dressed up. I mean, you see what I wear to preach in. I mean, I feel very comfortable in this. You put me in a suit, and we might have a long, somber ser- sermon, okay? And, uh, but this is, you know, for some people, comfortable. But one thing we need to understand, too, that families are unique. And in today's day and age, there's a lot of single moms. There's a lot of single dads out there. And so their family portrait looks a little bit differently. There's the family portraits where people feel their feet are very important. You'd be surprised how many, how many family portraits there are of feet, I'm telling you what, I got some things from the army I couldn't get rid of, and you don't want to see that picture of me up there. I'm telling you that now. And then you got some families that are just a little strange, right? And this family, okay, you know what I see in this family? His mom has been after him for a long time to get a family photo, and so they finally got a family photo. I don't know. I just try, you know, you got all these different family photos and all these different understandings of families. But we understand that as the family of God, it's, it's not always smiles and, and laughter. There are some tough moments that we do celebrate together. And let me implore you as a church body, celebrate well. If you're celebrating an anniversary, if you're celebrating a birthday, um, Celebrate well. Invite people in. And let people know. And let it be a celebration. Let other people rejoice with you. Let your celebration be a communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how God has preserved and how God has sustained. And you get to proclaim that message to others in that celebration. I think one thing we don't do very well as churches is celebrate well. We think we're supposed to be like really serious and uptight all the time and not laugh a lot and enjoy life together. And let me challenge you to celebrate well. 
as family. But sometimes there's those moments when people just don't get along. And it happens within the church, right? It happens within the family of God. That's why Paul penned these things. And if you're looking to the early church fathers, right? The apostolic fathers, we call them. These are the first group of guys that were either trained by the original apostles or knew them almost by direct link. These early guys, you know what they spent most of their time addressing within the church? Division, fights, disunity. They weren't really writing huge volumes and tomes of theology because I'll be honest with you, right at that time, it was the church was infantile. It was growing and it was developing. And so verses like Ephesians 4.32 is extremely important. It's funny how today it's just as important as it was back then. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's the one that stings a little bit. Because as we think about the church, as we think about, you know, getting into arguments and struggling and working through things together, we want that right to hold things and to demand our positions. But the bottom line is, because Christ forgave us, we really have no reason to not forgive one another. And these texts that I'm going to read you, and I'm going to challenge you as you read through them, there's no prerequisite that people have to come and ask you for forgiveness before you're supposed to forgive. There's none. We are supposed to readily forgive. And that's hard. That's hard. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Colossians 3.13, Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I've made this comment before, but one of the things when I'm marrying a husband and wife during a marriage ceremony, I'm getting to do another one this summer. I'm really excited about it. But one of the things that I will address with the couple is that the tenure and the strength of their marriage will be directly in relation to their ability to forgive one another. Because you're going to sin against each other. You're going to hurt each other. You're going to say things that just aren't, isn't nice. You're going to have a short night's sleep. You're going to be coming off. The baby was crying all night long. Or, you know, you, you had a rough day at the office. And you're going to come home and you're going to snap and you're going to say something. And as soon as those words are out of your mouth, you're like, you can't. They're out there. What happens next is really going to determine how well the marriage is going to go. Is it going to be confession and repentance and say, I'm sorry, I did not mean that? Is it going to be, I, I shouldn't have said those harsh words? And then, is the person who has said it was against going to forgive? It's imperative as we as a, a family that we live a life of forgiveness with one another. And that we exercise forgiveness not dependent on the other person coming to us and seeking forgiveness, but forgiving. It's hard being part of the body of Christ. It's hard. I loved what that guy said about being a man. You gotta work at it. We gotta work at being part of the family of God too. As a family of God, we want to be committed to one another. We want to serve with one another. We want to 
know that we can rely on each other. One of the, we just did a foundations class a couple weekends ago. And like I said last week, I really enjoy those. Dave does a phenomenal job. And, and as I'm part of what I'm supposed to teach, I teach the, the, the statement of faith. I go through the statement of faith and um, I let people read on their own the Constitution. We talk about the vision of the church and we also talk, I talk about the membership agreement that we wrote as a church body. And, and I understand why some people really struggle with becoming members of a church, a church agreement. Why do we have it is the question that's often asked. What we desire within this family, this local expression of God's universal family, to be committed to one another, to be there for each other, to disciple each other, and to rely on one another. And signing your name to that document is a way of saying, you know what, I know what the scripture says about being a family, and I want to be a part of that family. And it's, it's there not just for, I think some people fear that it's for the leadership of the church so that they can pull that document out and go, ha ha, we gotcha, right? No, that's not what it's there for. It's there so that we can, as a church, agree that we're a family. And it's also there for you that you're going to remember signing your name to that and going, you know what? I don't want to just run away. I don't want to be unforgiving towards my brother or sister. I want to be part of the body of Christ and be healthy. And I know that the scriptures in that document teach me about what it is to be a healthy family. You know, when you go to get a loan on a car or a loan on a house, right? Does the bank say to you when you go to the bank, oh, we know you're good for that. Let's just shake hands and it's all good. And you're going to say, yeah, I'm not going to miss any payments. It's all fine, right? You just walk out the door with, you know, $400,000, $300,000 house on, right? No, it's not, I mean, paper where your wrist hurts by the time you're finished, all right? Clarissa works at the title company. I mean, all the documents that she has to have filled out, documented, all those little pointy arrow things, please sign here, right? And you're flipping it like, good gravy. I'm, you need some blood too? I mean, you sign all of these things, right? To show that you're committed to repay this debt. It's not such a bad thing to say I'm committed to being a child of God and in this family, work with this family. We think that's a good thing, that we're signing something that says, you know what, I'm even more committed to be in a church with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I hope that makes it a little more understandable. I mean, being a part of the family of God is an important thing. It's huge. I mean, here we are, we're talking about who we are. And the first thing we're going to talk about is that in that identification piece is you've got to understand your family. And that's beautiful, whether you're sitting here this morning, husband and wife with kids, or you're sitting here just husband and wife, or you're sitting here by yourself. This is the family, and the family looks different. It's young, it's old, it's different races, it's different genders. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. The church is a beautiful expression, and in our church, it's multiple denominations. As a non-denominational church, we believe that God's people can worship together no matter what background you come from, as long as you believe and confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we hold to that God is Trinitarian, and you can look at the rest of our statements of faith and our doctrinal statement. But we truly believe that we can worship together and glorify God together. And live out what scripture tells us to be kind to one another. 
But God not only uses the term family and children to describe who we are, he also uses this term household. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're not strangers anymore. You're not far off. You're not distant from God. You've been brought near and you are part of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are God's house. The Holy Spirit indwells us and we are God's people. And in God's household, we have a role to love one another, to be committed to each other, to stand firm in the faith, to be present for each other, to give of our time and talents. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love honor one another above yourselves. In Romans 12, excuse me, in 1 Thessalonians 5.15, always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. God has gifted you with incredible gifts. We have tons of uniqueness in this room and it's beautiful and it's needed for the body of Christ. And one thing we need to realize is we need each other then why is it that when life gets hard, we have a hard day at work, when things aren't going well at home, that we want to pull away from our families and just withdraw? I believe that answer is twofold. It's the flesh. You're battling your flesh at that moment. And second, the evil one loves the lie that no one will understand you and no one will understand what you're going through. And the time in which you need the family the most, you withdraw from it. Let me encourage you, if you know a brother or sister in Christ right now that has withdrawn from the family, step out into their world, lovingly step into the world Listen to them. Take them out for a cup of coffee. Hear their story. Don't, don't say a word. Just, I want to hear what you're going through. And allow them to speak and allow them to pour out what their heart's at. And allow them to bear their soul to you so that you can, in turn, show them that they are part of the family. The family of God is amazing. It's healing. It's restoring. It's convicting. It's an essential in our understanding that when we answer the question who we are, we are part of a family. So the ideal of a Christian is never individualistic. It's understanding that we are part of God's whole family. It's a different message than the world says. The world says we really look out for number one and we take care of ourselves and other people will be just fine. But in God's family... Because Jesus Christ perfectly emulated it, we're servants. Mark 10, 42 to 45. And Jesus called to him and said to him, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. 
but their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must first be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We answer the question who we are by looking to our God. And because God is Father, we are part of his family. We are family. And because God is Son, we understand, and Mark paints beautifully. In fact, the image of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Mark is the suffering servant. Beautifully demonstrates Jesus Christ as a suffering servant. And because he was a servant, we too should be servants. Philippians 2, 5 through 7, have this in mind among yourselves. Keep this locked in. Paul is telling to the church in Philippi, it's a church he loves, it's a church he adores. He's giving them some things to lock into their mind, to just pound into their brains. And he says, keep this in mind, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. If the almighty son of God came to serve and not to be served, then what does it tell us? What is our hearts? What should be our mindsets as we answer the question of who we are? We are family and we are servants sent to serve. Mark 9, 35 And he sat down and called the 12. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, it means that your idea and your understanding of yourself is a servant to all people. And that your life exists not to chase after your own selfish desires, but your life exists to be a servant in the purposes of God the Father. We see this acted out, and I've seen our church so wonderfully demonstrate servant attitudes and hearts. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Brothers and sisters, we have Christian liberties. We have areas in which God gives us some leeway, if you will, in our lives in which we can understand that we do have some freedoms. But Paul to the church in Galatia makes it very clear to them when he says to them, we don't use those freedoms to, again, pound our own chests and say, look what I have the right to do. But we use our freedoms to encourage and to build up and to edify the body of Christ and to serve one another. It changes our mindset. It changes our perspective. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That as we live servant lives, we profess Jesus Christ. As we emulate our lives after our perfect Savior, as we walk in his steps, desiring to follow after him, we demonstrate how he lived as servants, and we demonstrate Christ present through, through the church to this world that we live in, the body of believers. Sometimes we demonstrate servant hearts by activities that we do. Sometimes it's just simply 
a matter of touch. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by how Jesus Christ touched those with a physical touch that were in so need of it. As servants, we need to understand that we exist to serve the needs of the people, not that God has sent us to, not what we perceive as our needs. And sometimes those can be two different things. I was speaking with a dear friend about, eh, about a year ago, and we were facing a decision as a board. Someone had bought us a problem, and we were going to fix the problem, right? Because that's what boards do, right? We fix problems. It's hysterical. Sometimes at a board meeting, you know, when we would sit down and talk about a problem, it's, it's all the manner in there. We just got our minds going into fix-it mode, right? Well, the gentleman that I was talking to this problem about, he said to me, you know, Scott, um, I hear what you're saying, and I'm glad you want to jump in and help that person, but is that what really what they need? You're seeing the surface issue up here above the surface. You're seeing a, a felt or physical need, but really, truly, what would it look like to serve that person or serve those people? That was a good word that we needed to hear. Because as servants of Christ, he, Christ perfectly reached people where they were at in the area they needed, had the greatest need. It's a beautiful picture. So who are we? Well, we're family. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We're family, right? We're servants of Jesus Christ. We, we exist to serve God, serve each other. Love God and love your neighbor. Those, that's the greatest commandment. We're servants. And finally, because God is spirit, we're the sent ones. John 15, 26, and when the helper, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You know what's wonderful as we've gone through these scriptural passages today? People who say the Trinity is not in the Bible. I don't know. I just keep seeing it over and over again as we're talking. You know, again, pointing back to the baptism, when, when Jesus goes out and launches into mission, it's after the Holy Spirit comes down and remains upon him in the form of a dove. Jesus then goes out to the wilderness and then on mission. The day of Pentecost and a lot of conservative Bible teaching churches, we don't talk a lot about that day because it's a scary day. Okay? It's an unsafe thing to talk about because all of a sudden we're talking about flaming tongues of fire, right? The scripture tells us that flaming tongues of fire came to rest upon the apostles, the disciples, and they began to speak and Paul or Peter delivers, excuse me, the greatest sermon probably ever delivered, minus his genius's sermon on the mount. Nobody trumps Jesus, sorry. And Peter gets up and thousands come to faith in Jesus Christ because of what he teaches and he preaches by the power of the Holy Spirit that day. Before that time, where were the disciples? Huddled up in a room hiding. Right? Tail tucked between their legs. But what's the Spirit to do? The Spirit empowers them to be sent out on mission by G for Jesus Christ. To spread the gospel into the Judea, to Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit empowers them. Brothers and sisters, do we even understand? Probably not. That the same Spirit that empowered Peter on the day of Pentecost is the same Spirit that empowers us today. That's some, that's, that's some fun stuff to think about. 
Now, we can talk about how the rules have changed and all that later, but, you know, we'll, we'll arm wrestle over all that stuff. But the same Spirit, it says in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and we will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit has empowered us so that we can go reach our valley, our mission. If you're visiting with us this morning, I want you to understand something our church body here continues to hear me talk about a lot is that God just doesn't work by chance or randomness. God places us where he needs us to be so we can be on mission for him. So whatever town, whatever community you're from, God puts you there for a purpose. God has got you there so that you can serve him right where you're at. For us, it's Chelan, it's Manson, it's to our high schools, it's to our middle schools, it's to our elementary schools, it's to our businesses, our local businesses. It's us as Christians, as family, hanging out, laughing, having a good time in businesses. I saw Facebook posts of Jeffrey and John hanging out at Vogue on Friday night, listening to Brogan play some music. Great group. Tyler, I think you were there too, hanging out. Yeah, Tyler was hanging out there as well. I mean, the church outside of here, Loving on, encouraging, laughing, having a great time. We are called by and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to minister to this valley. John 16, 7 to 15. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples before going to the cross. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin. Because they do not believe in me concerning the righteousness. Because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is going to convict people of where they're at. And he's going to use his church to be the proponent through which he is going to share the gospel. And as we live our lives out in front of them, they're going to see the gospel lived out. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The Spirit empowers us so that we might be proclaimers of Jesus Christ, so that our lives would reflect that we are his servants and we're part of his family and we are sent by him. One of the most beautiful words in Acts 1.8 is this word, witness. And I know it's been abused by false religions. But a witness is someone who bears, who testifies, who bears witness about something. He testifies concerning. The disciples were, as they lived their lives, as they conducted themselves, and as they spoke, were supposed to be a testimony to the existence and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's exciting. So when we answer this question, who are we? The answer is we are disciples. We are to make disciples. We are to be disciples. We are to be a family of God. We are to be a sent people. And we are to be servants. That's what it looks like for us to be disciples. I need to make a confession this morning. I've been here all of about, let's see, April, May, June, July, August. I've been here about five months. In the original board of deacons, I turned to them because I had this great idea. It was awesome. <laughs> and this is on me. This is all on me. Because I want you to understand, I'm growing up in the Lord too. 
I haven't arrived. And God is still teaching me and revealing to me the truths of Scripture and how to teach those truths. But I turned to the deacons and I said to them, I want you to teach a class on discipleship for me. I picked out three or four books and I said, okay, now you guys from these three or four books, you pick one you want to use. I set them up for catastrophic failure. Because it's something that I hadn't realized in my own life is that discipleship can't be taught in a classroom. If we are disciples and disciples are a family that has been that are servants and that have been sent, that requires action and that requires that discipleship takes place out there with each other as we live in and amongst our valley. I can't I can't ask anybody. I can't do I can't do a class on discipleship. You know, uh Jesse, this is where I forgot for service. Jesse and I were hanging out together, and um, he was helping me sand plastic doors. It's a different story. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> That's a terrible smell trying to sand plastic doors. Just a terrible smell. I can smell it right now. And Jesse's hanging out. We're having a great time together. And Jesse's, we're talking about this, this idea of being disciples. And Jesse's like, you know, it's like this wildlife biology class that I took, you know, three to five hours sitting in a classroom reading a textbook about trees and plants, right? And it described the tree, and it described what the tree would smell like, and it tried to do what the leaves of the tree would feel like, and the, what it would feel, the, the thorns on the bush would feel like, and, would, and it was all words and descriptions and some pictures, right? Good pictures. And then the idea was that it was sending them out, and they were to identify these plants and animals, or plants and trees, Right? These people were not successful. And then they took them out. The instructor took them out, and the instructor said, okay, this, this is an aspen. This is the bark. Feel the bark. Smell the leaves. Feel the leaves. This is this type of flower. See, see the pattern of the petals. And they took them along and they showed them in real life what this looked like. That, then they sent them out to go identify different plants and trees. They were very successful. Discipleship is also something that's very important for us to understand a two-way street. I think sometimes in churches we get this idea of discipleship of being one way. I'm going to grab hold of young Josh and I'm going to spend time with Josh. And I'm going to pour into Josh and Josh is going to become this great disciple of mine. But what we don't realize is Josh is going to disciple me. Josh is going to say things to me that I need to hear. And Josh is going to, well, I don't understand that. And he's going to make me change the way I speak so that I can speak to him in ways he can understand. I had the wonderful opportunity to be discipled by someone in our church. I had chosen to do communion a certain way in this church. And this person shared with me how it impacted them and my heart broke. It's not what I wanted to hear. I liked my way of doing things. I liked my new idea. But once again... I didn't have the foresight to see how it was going to affect other people. And it was very hurtful. I so thank that person up and down for sharing that with me. 
And we're closer for it. We're closer because she took the risk in discipling me and encouraging me because she understood that we're family and families do things that hurt each other sometimes, but there's forgiveness and there's repentance. And she understands that my heart is to serve this body of believers, but I don't do that perfectly sometimes. (laughs) She wanted to understand that in all we do as a church body, that we are missional in our mindset. And we don't do anything that would cause division or hinders our mission. You see, we are disciples. We're family. We're servant. We're missionaries. Because God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because we have a father, we have a family. And because the Son was the perfect suffering servant, we are called to be suffering servants. And because the Holy Spirit has empowered us, and lives within us, we are the sent ones. We are the ones that testify and bear witness to the validity that Jesus Christ has come and is presently empowering us and strengthening us to do his work in this world. Putting it all together as family, we serve each other and our communities as God's missionaries. I don't know what your understanding of discipleship or disciple was before today, and hopefully we impacted that little bit and shaped it. Hopefully you understand that the the Trinity is not something that is just a theological and academic concept, but that significantly impacts the question of who we are, and that because we have a triune God, we get to be part of the family, and that is just overwhelming to me. I get to bear hug Brandon every morning when he comes in here, and Brandon and I are brothers, and we greet each other as such. Jeffrey, he hugs me so hard, sometimes I think my lungs are going to come out of my chest. (laughs) Going golfing with Kyle on Friday. You know, we're not going to share our scores. (laughs) Sitting in the office with a brother this week and having him confront me with an area where I've heard him, his family, and it's beautiful. And I want to paint a different picture of family for you. Because we have hard times doesn't mean it needs to divide or destroy. It should draw us together. It gives us the opportunity to say, yeah, I'm wrong. And I messed up. And it's, would you forgive me? And I have no excuse for my mess up. None. We're servants. Sacrificial servants. And we're sent. I'm going to close with this one last picture in your mind. Challenge you with this. Some of you do this great. Some of us need to work on it. In the mission field, imagine being a missionary. Talking with Tom and Ellen a little bit about this last service, joking with them. And Tom and Ellen had, I think, five kids on the mission field. Imagine your kid is on the mission field with you, and you're all out, and your kid goes to the school that day, and somebody punches him in the face. Right? And your kid comes home with a nice shiner. And you're irate. Mama bear, papa bear's coming out. Right? You're going to go hunt that guy down and we're going to go roll in the oats and, you know, come on. You know. Somebody's going to leave scuffed up. 
But you know that if you're on a foreign mission field and you were to go out and act that way and you were to get angry and get bitter and confront that way, you would damage and you would destroy your ability to minister on that field. And the missions agency is going to be calling you up and saying, you're coming home, buddy. You're not going to be affected. We've got to relocate you because nobody's going to let, you're supposed to be proclaiming the love, the peace, the joy of Jesus Christ, and you just went to whooping up on a local. You're done. But we don't live that same way in that understanding here. We think that since we live here, we have every right to get bitter, angry, upset, jump down somebody's throat to justify what we think is right. And we damage and we destroy our ability to minister to the mission field God has sent us. And instead of people welcoming you in the door. Now you're that person who's caused strife and dissension and destroyed. I am one of the worst sports parents probably that exist. I hear Ethan tell me about his baseball game and I'm learning to do a better job of it. I think I'm getting a little bit better. And as he's describing the game and who was in the game and what was went on during the game, I can't be that parent that says, well, so-and-so should have done that and so-and-so should have coached that, but rather, I need to be the person of peace. Even if he doesn't get a single inning in the game, he needs to go talk to his coach or he needs to work harder or whatever he needs to do and I can talk to the coach, but if I, coach, if I approach that coach like, what is your problem? My son's the best player on that team. He needs to be in there every game. <laughs> My ability to minister to that coach, my ability to minister to those families, it's going to get damaged. Now, granted, it does present us with an opportunity to repent and confess. I'm trying to lessen some of those opportunities. (laughs) Pray for me. But how we live our lives and how we conduct ourselves does matter. How we interact with that neighbor who isn't pleasant, may drive on your property, may do some things that drives you nuts. How we interact with that situation matters. That is your mission field. How we love one another in this community matters. Because we want to be disciples that represent our Savior and bring with us this understanding of the family of God, servants of God, sent in his holy name to bring the gospel message to all those who will hear. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you. Lord God, so much for continuing to teach us and allowing us to learn to be your disciples. Lord, I'm pretty confident none of us in this room are perfect disciples. Some of us may struggle in the area of family where we don't want to be part of the family. We want to be, we love being missional. We love being out there as servants. We love being sent. We love talking about Jesus. But when it comes to the family of God, we just rather keep to ourselves because maybe hurt and damage has been done to us. And we need to overcome that to be the disciple you've called us to be. And maybe for some of us this morning, Lord, it's, it's scary as all get out to think about being a servant. We're good about hanging out with the family of God, but stepping outside of the home and 
humbling ourselves and placing the needs of others above us means that we could get hurt, and that's terrifying, and we'd rather not get hurt. We'd rather not risk it. Lord, help those that are struggling to be servants this morning. And Lord, for those this morning that are struggling with being the sent ones, the missionaries into this valley, and Father, I pray that you would strengthen them and give them the understanding of what your scripture tells us, that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And that because we are the family, we're not standing alone in isolation. We're not going out on that mission field alone. We have a great cloud of witnesses that surround us that go before us. We have the Holy Spirit that strengthens us. And may we understand that Jesus Christ was the perfect servant and because he suffered for our sake, we too can suffer for the sake of others. Knowing that we will have a great and amazing kingdom to spend in for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.